Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Preferred Walk-Ons podcast. This is Michael McGraw along with Michael Shutt. Today is Sunday, June 4th, which is day three of the NCAA baseball tournament. And we're recording this around lunchtime where your NC State Wolfpack are struggling a little bit in an elimination game against Campbell. Yeah, not terribly surprised, honestly. It felt like we had a great game against them in game one of of the regional. And then, I mean, yeah, I, I don't really have high expectations here. It kind of feels like we're playing with, with house money in terms of we've had a lot of injuries and just kind of it's, it's nice to be there. Uh, <laughs> uh, and that's just sort of how, how it has felt uh, so far. So, yeah, we'll, we'll see. It's it's. It's early, but yeah, five nothing in the top of the second, not not super great. I have to say I watched almost their entire game. I flipped over from the UVA ECU game when mm-hmm. that ended to watch the end of your game against South Carolina and mad respect for the troops, but the camo colored outfits that y'all had on yesterday were just it's awful. Yeah, it's not good. It was it's really, really bad. Yeah. It's it, it's it's pretty awful. I think we really struck gold a couple of years ago. Well, it was back in the Carlos Rodon era when we had the it looks like the old Chicago White Sox uniforms, and they've used it a few times since then. But other than that, yeah, don't just like you don't need to play with it too much. Either go with your traditional stuff or something cool like that. A camo, like it almost never works for sports uniforms unless you're like a service academy, basically. Yes, totally agree. ACC having some great performances. UVA gets a big 2-1 to win last night over ECU with a brilliant performance from Nick Parker pitching. And kudos to all the UVA fans out there who have filled the dish. That place was hopping sellout crowd last night. Very exciting to watch on TV. And they will get the winner tonight of either ECU or Oklahoma with an opportunity to go to the Super Regionals. We still have UNC competing, Clemson's competing, Miami's competing, Wake Forest is still competing. Lots uh, lots of ACC programs showing out right now. Yeah, uh, it's been really impressive. You know, Clemson just last night went to 14 innings with Tennessee. That was, uh, I know you have lots of thoughts on replay review in various sports, but that was one that, you know, Clemson looked like they had a walk-off win on a double play or what what would eventually become a double play. Uh, the umpire originally called the runner safe at first, but replay, replay review overturned it, went to extras, and Tennessee ended up winning. That was, so far, I think that's got to be the game of the tournament just early on. Yeah, that was a lot of fun to watch. And, yeah, you, you mentioned review. It is agonizing to have these moments that just – appear amazing in real time and then get overturned with review or just everyone has to stand around. There was a possible home run that didn't look like a home run at all in the Mm -hmm. UVA game yesterday, like a ECU center fielder, Rob Kyle Teal, I believe of a homer, but didn't catch the ball. And then it immediately, you know, everyone started calling for review and it just completely disrupted the entire flow of the game. You know, it, I was thinking about it during the lacrosse final four. Duke managed to beat Penn State in a kind of controversial 
manner with an overtime winner that the guy was stepped in the crease, it looked like, on Pawn Review, but they don't have that kind of review in lacrosse. And it was just so refreshing. It was so refreshing to not have to have this goal where Duke, this entire team, ran out on the field to celebrate, to like have five minutes of referees with headsets and you know going pixel by pixel. So, I mean, it was obviously the right call in that game, but come on. It's not that important. Let let the boys play. It's not that important. It's like literally this is the postseason. This is what this is like all these kids care about. So like I, I that's what I just I can't understand the lacrosse one where it's like if you go back and look at that, it's it's not even like it's 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 pretty obvious. And so you have a team winning on something that just shouldn't have happened. But you know, whatever, I guess. I guess it's refreshing to have Duke <laughs> move on even though they broke the rules to win or it would have been refreshing if clemson had walked it off on a play where the runner was out that's super super refreshing i mean it you know if unless it's like an egregious error in real time like in real time the duke thing the duke lacrosse player's foot like you couldn't tell If, if you can't tell in real time and it's not egregious then i don't come on but that doesn't change that it happened Yeah, I'm just saying, like, if you can get it right, get it right. I don't know. I I'm happy for reviews in baseball, at least. I will say this: like, they don't take nearly as long. It's in a football game or a basketball game when it takes three or four minutes to go to the monitor, and people are just standing around. It's like intolerable. Like, let people let people have challenges or something. Like, coaches have challenges, and then that way we don't have to review every single moment in these games i don't know sure i just i just think my standard is not oh if it's not obvious to the naked eye but more if it isn't obvious within 30 to 45 seconds of review then move on so like that's the football thing to me is they'll do it for you know several minutes trying to figure it out i think if you can't look at it in a meet so like the the play from last night the clemson baseball play like, like you said they, they, they basically pulled it up in review and were like oh yep nope he's out are bad and then went and changed it something like that should be changed but i do agree when it's like we have to litigate for five minutes that that's that is too much that was a side rant about replay but baseball has been great i've enjoyed watching it it's super exciting the crowds have been exciting been uh some teams that have struggled a little bit that you wouldn't expect like vanderbilt's got plastered the other night it's just uh it's been a lot of fun now that you, we've seen every team play, do you have a favorite? Is there ha, has your prognosis for this tournament shifted at all? Do you like what are you thinking? No, I mean I think the same teams that you would expect that are in the higher seats, you know, like Wake Forest put up twenty thousand runs the other night. I mean, they're yeah. still probably one of the top favorites. Uh, LSU, I still think has a really good chance. I honestly think Virginia has a pretty good chance. I mean, if they, assuming they can get past ECU or Oklahoma tonight, they will be able to host a super regional event. And once you get into Omaha, then it becomes just who knows matchups with, yeah. with certain pitchers. So yeah, I'd, I don't really have any specific thoughts on which teams could come out of it, but I mean, I think UVA has just as good a shot as anybody. Yeah, I, I would agree. You know, I think Wake Forest has looked just dominant. Twelve to one win over George Mason, a twenty-one to six win over Maryland. You can't really ask for much more than that from a favorite. I've really enjoyed Penn. 
when beating yeah. Auburn and Samford, like that kind of little surprising to see their early success, at least for me, I wasn't really banking on them as a, as a regional favorite, but uh, what do I know? But yeah, I, I, I do like UVA's chances. It's been cool. Uh, I know you're out of town right now, but it's been cool being around Seville and kind of seeing the different fan base. The ECU is well represented in town this weekend. I've seen some Oklahoma fans saw some. Well, I actually saw what looked like most, if not well, it was a significant portion of the Army baseball team was eating at uh, Jack Brown's yesterday. Oh, interesting. So it's kind of cool when you have an event like this in town, in a college town, you get to see like everybody coming in to see that. Like this is kind of why I like the college baseball tournament and having the regional sites. uh, It it creates some pretty cool environments. Yes, very much so. And uh, speaking of excitement. I think Virginia fans have a lot of reason to be excited because Reese Beekman is back. Woo! Let's go. Let's go. go. <laughs> yes. So, uh, yeah, can't wait to see. This is kind of, to me, it feels like this is sort of what I was saying when we talked about it. You kind of didn't really have anything to lose here. Like, you're not, your stock's probably not going to fall any further than what it is. And maybe you have a chance to, to, rise back up the boards a little bit i think this is a great call by him first of all just want to say that i had this go back and listen to the swipe right episode i believe i had this Mm -hmm. but i don't want to make a big deal out of it but sure sure. um you've only like texted about it like three or four times i think right yeah i mean i that seems like enough (laughs) uh yeah i do think that it is a strong decision from his perspective i mean as many things that he brings to the table defensively and being able to handle the ball without turning it over, I think those skills translate. He had a pretty good combine from everything that scouts seem to have leaked and reporters uh, were mm-hmm. covering it, seem to think. But, you know, I, I think his shooting is... The NBA shooting takes precedent over everything. And he's not a great shooter right now. And he has a real opportunity with what seems like a weaker NBA class next year to be the star of Virginia, get Virginia back to the tournament, be be the go-to guy on the roster, continue to play great defense, and really elevate himself into the first round where he can make some significant money uh, in the NBA if he continues to develop his shot, which has gotten better with each season, but still has not been elite. Like no one would call him a shooter right now. And I think he has room for growth in that area as well. There's no doubt in my mind. I I, I have a pretty high confidence interval that Reese Beekman's going to be a solid professional basketball player. I, I've said that multiple times. I think the NBA game is suited to a lot of his strengths. He does have to become a better shooter, I think. And so I'm looking for him this year to take on a bigger role in terms of scoring punch and sort of providing some of that. Like if I'm an NBA scout, I think what I want to see from Reese Beekman is a few games where he just takes over and at least in spurts, like he doesn't even have to, I'm not even saying he has to have a, you know, some like 30 point games. I'm just saying games where it's coming down to it and it's a little close and UVA needs production. You know, when you, Look at those stretches that UVA has had over the last couple of seasons in games where, you know, they struggle to score. You know, they have these field goal droughts. Like, can Reese Beekman prove that he can prevent those from happening, right? And just go get a bucket when you need it. And I think that 
if he can show that, then he can definitely improve his resume. And I think that he's going to have an opportunity playing with a roster that's suited, I think, to make plays and to kind of initiate the offense and run an efficient offense. I think he's got the playmakers around him for next season's roster to have a lot of success. Yeah, it's funny that Reese actually has two of the most clutch shots for Virginia over the last two years, hitting the, or I guess three years, hitting the the game winner against Syracuse at the ACC tournament before COVID broke out on the team and ended their run. He has the big Duke three-pointer at Cameron to win. But both of those were kind of surprising because you don't associate him with going and getting that bucket. There are other people on the team who probably would have been the top choice to shoot those shots. But he, he has that clutch ability. But you're right, like being able to be the guy that can go score. And he started showing that at the beginning of last year, uh, particularly in the Vegas tournament that UVA had. And then, you know, a little bit against Michigan before he hurt his hamstring. It just, to me, never looked the same following that injury. It was it was always like that explosive ability to go up and get a dunk or, you know, make a play uh, getting past people. It, it always seemed a little bit tentative after that. So I expect him to be healthy this year. And again, like you said, be, be the guy to initiate the offense. You're right that he does have an interesting cast around him of playmakers. It's a very different cast than who was on the team last year. I was getting into some fights with people on the Sabres boards about this. As you know, my primary take, which now we'll get to see whether I'm right, is that Dante Harris is going to be one of the biggest scorers for Virginia and that he's going to be a starter on the offense. I know a lot of Virginia fans are perhaps triggered by the idea of having two undersized point guards who aren't elite outside shooters playing, but Tony Bennett loves that. So like, it's going to happen. I think there's a great opportunity for people like Rhodey to be, you know, a guard who can initiate the offense at times and hit outside shots. He's, he's definitely going to be an important part, but I just think the, you don't have somebody like Dante Harris transfer midseason. Tony goes out and gets him in the middle of the season, sits and has him, you know, working out with the team for the whole second half of the year and in the offseason, really playing in practice, getting to know the offense, getting to understand pack line principles, and then not start him. I think that's just not something that makes sense to me. So and I and I think he's a really good scorer. Like people who have compared him to Kihei. Yes, I get that they're both small, although Dante's taller than me and Kihei is not. So like <laughs> just 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 put it in terms of that. I, I think this is a guy who has a scoring ability, even though it's not been the most efficient over the course of his career. He single-handedly won Georgetown the Big East tournament, was the MVP as a quote unquote freshman, and you know, went out and scored 20, 22 points for them in critical games. So this is somebody who has that experience. And while I'm really high on somebody like uh, Rhodey, you know, he is playing from a school that just got up into Division One for the first time. So I think we should temper our expectations a little bit. I'm very high on him, too, and his skill set and his height. But I just think, you know, here's somebody who's coming from Georgetown. And despite how bad Georgetown has been recently, I think... He just has that experience in big games that other players on the roster don't currently have. Yeah, I actually surprisingly really agree with you here. And I, I think that that is 
one of the the most telling things because I usually, you know, we disagree on so many things, not everything, but a lot of different things. I think to compare Dante Harris to Kihei Clark is super lazy. I think it's literally just people who, quite frankly, don't know what they're talking about seeing two kind of small guards and are like, yep, they're, they're the same. Just watching film of Dante Harris and having seen Kihei's career, there's really very few similarities. They're small. Uh, Dante Harris does not guard the way that Kihei did. Like he is, he doesn't have the same defensive strength and he scores in a totally different way. Right. So like Kihei was not a big scorer anyway, but I mean, how many times did we see Kihei Clark with like the, the Steve Nash dribble, right? Getting in and like using a drive to then circle back around and find somebody versus Dante Harris attacks the basket pretty aggressively. And, and I think that when you look back, especially at that Big East tournament run, um, that they made a few years back and you, uh, look at the game, uh, when they were playing, uh, Villanova and he makes the play at the very end. He drives against Jeremiah uh, Robinson Earl and, uh, goes and draws a foul and gets to the free throw line and, and ends up making clutch free throws. And that, one play to me sort of summarizes who he is as a player and why he's different from Kihei because that does not feel like a Kihei play and I just think that he has an element to him that makes him like you said he's ready to step in now and I understand that there are a lot of fans that are reasonably high on on Andrew Rohde and some of them I think a little maybe unreasonably high on him he definitely can play Right. And he's got he's got size that that is certainly appealing, but it's not like he's an efficient shooter either. Now, granted, he was shooting a lot, period. He was shooting a lot. And some of those were not great shots. Uh, and they were shots off the dribble and things that he's he's going to be getting different looks. But he only shot 32 percent from three. So I, I don't quite understand this like thought process that he's he brings us such better shooting and handles the ball well which he does and he has pretty good vision and makes plays but I just he doesn't seem to fit in the same way that I think Dante Harris fits yeah I don't want to be unfair to UVA fans I think it is reasonable to worry about the upside and ceiling of this team when they are kind of undersized as a roster they lost several of their big men in Caden Shedrick and Caffaro and Isaac Trout, who is expected to step in. Sure. The people they brought in and, you know, Jordan Minor is is not the biggest guy for a forward. And you have, you know, the tallest guy in the roster now is Blake Buchanan, who is a freshman and, you know, could definitely use some more muscle. You know, I, you could see him getting pushed around a little bit in the post, but, you know, it's possible that he play some significant minutes even as a freshman well that remains to be seen but you know I I think it's reasonable to worry about it but I don't think the solution is to throw out one of your best playmakers and just immediately pencil in somebody who's a little bit taller right I don't think that's the the overall solution I think a lot of teams have had success playing small there are still things that UVA can do defensively you know Ryan Dunn is not the biggest guy in the world either, but was one of their best defensive players last year as a freshman. And so people are very high on him too. People should be high on McNeely, who really started to play significant minutes as the season went on and was that knockdown shooter. And I I think also, you know, yes, it would be great if uh, Ty Jerome still had a year of eligibility and was the (laughs) point guard and was a significant three-point threat. But 
that's not an option right now. So, you know, I, I my my overall point in this is that I think people are selling Dante Harris short a little bit. He was probably by ratings at least one of the best recruits and transfers that Tony Bennett has had just by ratings. I think he is going to be a significant part of the roster, even if it means that some of the younger players like, you know, Eli Gertrude, who are, are coming in and coming off injury, maybe see a little bit less time in their first year. So I, yeah, I think he is going to be a winning player for this team. It, I don't know that UVA is a final four team based on what they have. They don't have the same talent level as some teams, but they are going to be a tournament team based on what they have now. Yeah, I mean, I I, I think so too. And look, I think that the reality is, I, I get the size concern, I, I really do. But like you kind of said, like a six six guard doesn't really change what your size concerns are. Your size concerns are not like I understand there are some size concerns on the perimeter. I mean, Reese is six three one ninety is what he's listed as. I think he measured out at like 6'2 at the combine. So I don't know if UVA will update what they list him as. Um, not, not a dime back, as Jim Calhoun would say. <laughs> and uh, Dante Harris is, is just right at six feet. So I understand that's a small backcourt. But really the concern, what that always comes down to, is the the lack of size inside, right? I mean, like like playing roadie doesn't really change that. Uh, and he's going to play. I'm not saying he's not going to play, but I'm saying if you're worried about size in the starting lineup, then starting roadie over Harris doesn't really change what your concern is. You know, the concern is is rim protection and being able to match up against bigger post players. I mean, Ryan Dunn showed to be proved to be capable at six eight. Like he can go down there and defend some of them. Jordan Miner's bigger than Jaden Gardner was, so like you've you've upgraded size wise there. And then I'm high on Blake Buchanan. I, I think that it would be crazy for Tony not to give him significant minutes. I mean, my prediction, I think he may be, if not in the starting lineup, very early off the bench, really at the beginning of the season. Um, his calling card as a prospect is his defensive ability and IQ. He is a little skinny for sure, but I just, how many post players are there in today's college basketball game outside of like a DJ Burns that are big back down, like punish you in the block kind of people. Right. I, I just don't think that that slight frame is going to hurt him that much. And he's not tiny, right? Like, like six eleven two fifteen is not like, he's not going to snap in half. And and he held his own on the Nike hoop summit. Like every time you've seen him play elite talent in some of these all American games and things like that, that he's been involved in, he has played well defensively, and that has been the thing that has stuck out with him. So I really don't worry about it for UVA in terms of interior stuff. I mean, it's kind of shallow, but it has been for the last couple of years, really. I mean, you look at like Shedrick and Caffaro, like their time, they each went through times over the last season where they really weren't playing much anyway. So it's not like the interior depth and the size has really changed all that much. Yeah, I I totally agree. And I also think that's an opportunity, if you think about what UVA was looked best offensively last year, it was when they went small. I mean, initially when, you know, Ben Vanderplas played significant minutes for them, that gave them an offensive spark as kind of their four or five player compared to, you know, having somebody who's just not a threat to do anything other than dunk like Cafro or 
Caden Shedrick. So, you know, maybe maybe somebody like a Jacob Groves, who is one of the taller people on the team, transfer from Oklahoma, sees minutes early on since he's a senior and has played significant minutes, you know, as kind of a stretch for player. You know, he's another option that they could use. But one of the funniest things I was looking at this and and looking into kind of our next segment about what rosters look like for the rest of the ACC now that draft declarations are in the past and I was looking at Bart Torvik and his mm-hmm. uh, potential lineups for next year and he has a lot of great information totally recommend his website but it's funny because he just has like projected contributors and what their stats might look like in their minutes and he has Ryan Dunn at the very bottom you know averaging only five percent of UVA's minutes and uh yeah, I don't think so. I don't think that's going to happen. That's a guy. It, interestingly, in a lot of the draft things that came out with Reese deciding to come back, it, it, a lot of people are really, really high on Ryan Dunn as a possible first rounder next year. So if he could develop any kind of outside shot, he would be that DeAndre Hunter-like player that UVA has been looking for ever since DeAndre left early and was the third pick in the draft. Yeah, I, I I'm very excited about this UVA team. I don't think they're... Like they're not Duke, they're not Kansas, but they are going to be really, really talented, and I think better than people think. And having Reese back certainly uh, provides a lot more excitement for the fans than ha- not having him on the team. It's interesting. I think you guys are in a unique position that you haven't been in in recent years, which is that people the expectations are kind of low. Which is is interesting. I just that just hasn't been the case for UVA recently, and that might be good for a relatively inexperienced young roster that to to kind of have those expectations low. And and I just think, yeah, I agree with you. I think there's going to be some surprises. I think that this is a good, probably Sweet Sixteen type caliber team. Well, Andy Katz has us as an 11 seed right now in his bracketology, which I want to get back to in a minute, but seems a mite low to me. It does. Like, I don't think UVA should be a three seed, but 11 I, seems low. I say take it, man. That's what, that's, that's what you want. You'd so much rather be in that position than have the Carolina season from last year. Put it on the bulletin board. That's right. Yeah, so I was looking at the rest of the ACC and trying to kind of map out what that might look like now that people have made their declarations. Obviously, there's still some portal stuff that needs to be sorted out between now and November. But kind of my top line takeaways, number one, Duke is going to be insanely good. Mm -hmm. They had no transfers. One of the only power, I think the only power five team to not have a transfer leave their program. Kyle Filipowski coming back. Tyrese Proctor coming back. I mean, basically four starters and then bringing in one of the best recruiting classes in the country. They're going to be loaded if they're not one of the top two teams in the country for most of the year. I will be very surprised. But then beyond them, I think there are a lot of really, really good teams that could make the NCAA tournament. I don't know what you think about this, but I was looking at kind of teams and I could talk myself into like nine or ten different teams making the tournament. From the ACC specifically? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I was going to say, no, I think 68 will probably make it. But um, the... Uh, That's a good... Uh, I'll take the I'll take the over. <laughs> yeah, it, it does feel like, again, just kind of looking at Andy Katz's projections with five. Like, I agree that I can look at this conference 
Yeah, I mean, there's teams that I think are definitely undervalued um, just in terms of some of the current projections. I mean, just thinking through my lens, like Andy Katz does not have state in the tournament, and I, I actually am in the opposite seat of where I was last year where, like, I think we are a tournament team. That might be overly optimistic, but I just think that there's an experienced roster there. Yeah, I mean, I think that, like, you look at there's some teams like Pitt that I feel a lot more confident in this year than I did last year um, in terms of at the beginning of the season. Yeah, I mean, I just think this this conference probably does have eight, maybe nine com- uh, tournament teams in it. I, I, I'm with you on that. Yeah, I mean, I think the teams that seem poised to make it, Miami, fresh off their Final Four run yeah. with Omir and Pack coming back. I mean, you have to think that they are probably a top 10 team, even losing Isaiah Wong. Like, they're they're going to be really, really good. Mm-hmm. North Carolina, I think when Baycott made the decision to come back, that probably solidifies them as a, a top 25 team throughout. They have the one of the top point guards in the country coming in as a freshman, who I actually think will probably make their offense run a lot better than Caleb Love did in uh, Kedo. Yeah. I think that was almost bigger than Baycott coming back. Yeah, and just having R.J. Davis there as as well. I think that they're going to be really good. Pitt, you could talk me into after you know, having a significantly better season than they had the year before. Virginia, I agree with you with NC State. Casey Morsell coming back was a huge decision for them. Yeah. Having his leadership and experience and outside shooting that he really improved upon this year. I think you could also make cases, you know, Clemson was right there, maybe Mm -hmm. should have made the tournament last year. They're going to be right back after, you know, they made that trade with NC State, (laughs) the the one for one trade. That'll be a fun storyline all year. Virginia Tech, I think, is is pretty close as well. Like, it would not surprise me to see them be significantly better, particularly with all the close losses that they had this past year. I mean, that's one of those regression things that usually gets better following year. Then you have like Wake Forest. I mean, they were a team that was right there on the bubble as well. They lose uh, Clintman, mm-hmm. but you know, they still have you know a lot of shooting. Monsanto's going to be there. That guy hasn't missed a three pointer in three years. So, of all the genetic yeah. modifications. Sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's a smart joke. <laughs> yeah, man. Um, yeah, so I just think, you know, even somebody like Syracuse, who I don't think is all that good, like they get Judah Mintz back, which was a surprising decision from my perspective for him to come back to Syracuse with a new coach. So, yeah, I just I, I think there's a lot of depth in the ACC and I could, you know, it, maybe maybe the alternative is that everybody beats up on each other and then we only get five teams in. Sure. But I could easily see eight or nine teams making the tournament yeah i i agree with you on a lot of that and i think you still have you know teams that are going to be improved you know i i don't think that teams like boston college and and georgia tech are going to be exceptionally good but but probably you know some improvement there I, i have a hard time imagining florida state staying down i don't know i know that they obviously lose uh matthew cleveland to miami which only adds to miami's outlook but um, yeah, you just kind of got to figure like some of these teams are going to come back. And, and I think that, yeah, the Syracuse one is one of the most interesting things to me. Judah Mentz is an extremely intriguing prospect who I think has a shot to really propel himself to a, a, a meteoric rise in draft stock. 
if he is able to lead that team to you know a winning season and, and shows an ability to carry that team offensively I think then that that will pay off for him are they a tournament team I'm not sure I do think I could see this thing shaking out sort of like it did this year where these teams beat up on each other but you do have some elite teams at the top in this conference I think that Duke has to be among the championship favorites the national championship favorites and unfortunately I think Carolina's probably up there as well do you think Syracuse is going to do the 2-3 zone or do you think they're going to mix it up I think they're going to mix it up some um I think that you're going to still see it right I mean I just can't imagine that it goes away completely especially because it's not like they went totally outside of the the family in their hire so I think that you'll still see that matchup zone but I think that it will it's not going to be all the time and I think you're going to see more variation in terms of how they defend and it'll become Still, I think probably there, I think it'll still be a, a central part of their identity as a team, but maybe not everything they do. I was thinking about the possibility of Syracuse fans, you know, they, them matching up man to man and Syracuse fans reaction, like whether they'll cheer because it's like, hey, this is pretty cool and new and what everybody else does or whether they're like, they're so ingrained with seeing just two, three zone that they would like get confused and boo or, <laughs> you know, the, I don't know. Yeah. Chance two, three, two, three. <laughs> I think they will definitely be confused early on. I I, I think that um, there's going to be some real like, holy shit, what are we watching here? Like, can can you do that? Can can you just match up with people? I thought you had to play zone. Yeah, they're they are definitely a team that I'm really interested. Even though I hate them and wish nothing but misery on their fan base, <laughs> I. I'm really interested. They also, just looking at their roster, they don't have anybody on their roster that's over 6'8", with the exception of Naheem McLeod, who is a robust 7'4", from Florida State. Yeah, so, of course, of course, from Florida State. Pretty, pretty interesting. So it's like, yeah, pretty small roster, and then, oh my God, that guy. I mean, he's, that's all you need. Just throw him in the, maybe they will stick with the zone. Just throw him in the middle of that thing and let him erase anything. So I, I mentioned the bracketology. Obviously, it's like way too early for this, but also like what else am I going to care about? Like I love right. basketball and I want to think about it. So Andy Katz put out a bracketology, his his first look at what the tournament might look like following all the decisions about staying in the NBA draft. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if you had a chance to look at it and had any thoughts about this, but I was I was kind of going through and just identifying some teams that are like, oh, yeah, that uh, that team looks a little underseated to me mm -hmm. based on zero games played, of course. But I don't know if you have any thoughts on teams that you think are kind of flying under the radar or teams that you think now with their players coming back are maybe a little overrated from where they sit, uh, where where all the pundits are talking about them. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think that Overall, I, I was looking through his bracketology thing, and overall, I, I don't really like it. I think that he's missing on some things and some pretty major things. I think that there's this has happened across the board, but Zach Eady coming back to Purdue, I think, has led basketball media to collectively lose its mind. This team yeah. did underachieved this past year, right? Like you you can't i mean regular season sure great wonderful but remind us how things went for them in the tournament it wasn't great 
And so like So I I actually I push back a little bit on this because I have seen a lot of people like dunking on Purdue like, well, I know which top three seed I'm gonna pick to not make it out of the first two rounds. And I don't know if this is just like the nostalgic UVA fan in me that watched a one seat lose sure. and then turn around the next year and win it all. But you know, I don't know that Purdue is the best team. I don't know that you know they they were obviously flawed in terms of their ability to shoot, mm-hmm. but the idea that like Zach Eady coming back would be bad, it seems well, like no, a I'm lot not saying it's bad, but like everybody has. I, see, them. I feel like a lot of people are like, oh, it's you know, why are we giving Purdue any type of a top seed? I mean, they're going to win a ton of games. Like they're going to be a top three seed because they're very good. Yeah. I- to say they're bad or it's bad for him to come back, like that, that is a stupid take. But to have them like everywhere, like you mentioned Bartorvik earlier, like he has them as his number one overall. Like it seems the, the and Andy Katz has them at like it's just to me, this team is maybe a, a three seed or something. Like I just, I don't know. I, I just think that they're, they don't. They're not as complete. When you look at that in Andy Katz's bracketology, you look at that that one line. One of these things is certainly not like the others, right? So, like Duke boasts an incredible depth of talent, a combination of experience and freshmen coming in. Michigan State has returning talent plus freshmen coming in that that they look deep and balanced. Kansas is extremely experienced. With a, they're going to have a balanced offensive attack, as well as I mean they have players that can defend and like that team is likely to start four seniors probably, and the fifth is likely going to be a junior. So I just think when you look at those teams around them, Purdue just doesn't quite fit the bill uh, in my mind. I honestly, looking at one seeds, I'd rather see. I mean, I. I would not rather see Carolina up there, but I think that they're more likely to be up there. I think if we're going outside of those like elites, Creighton could be surprising as a as a high seed. I think he has them as a three, if I remember correctly. Yeah, a three. So, you know, he's got them up there, but they're a team I really like going into next year as well. It's kind of amazing. The team that stands out to me is USC. And somehow, mm-hmm. even with Bronny James coming to them, I feel like there's not enough hype for them. Like they have yeah. Boogie Ellis, who is one of the best players in the Pac-12. They have maybe the best recruit in Isaiah Collier, mm-hmm. who's like a, a instant lottery pick. Page, a four-star center, and then they're just bringing back a bunch of people too. Yeah. Like they they are just going to be really good. I mean, I think that's actually one of the things that I like about them with Bronny fitting there. Like aside from it just being LA and just the attention from people that aren't alums at USC. Like, I think there will just be a lot of media attention on USC anyway, but he doesn't have to be the best player on the team. Like it's not a situation where he shows up and he has to like win them the game single-handedly. He can play on a roster of really talented people around him. And Andy Etfield, you know, he, he offensively is a really, really good coach and gives his players a lot of freedom. And Mm -hmm. so, I mean, Andy Katz has them as a three seed. I I think they're going to be maybe one of the top four teams in the country. Like, it would not surprise me at all to see them as a final four team at the end, even with it. Just it just seems crazy that like we I don't think we're prepared at all for the national attention that this program is going to get. And 
it doesn't even need to be about Bronny. Like they're just really, really good. Yeah. Bronny's going to be a role player on that team, like a really good role player. That's not a, I'm not saying that as like downplaying him, but there is, there's a lot of returning talent. They hit the transfer portal for some stuff. Like the, I think that backcourt of Isaiah Collier, Boogie Ellis, and Bronny, I'm not sure if they'll play all three of them together. They're all about 6'3. So that might be kind of small. Too um, small. Too small. Can't play it. Need a 6'6 six, six guy <laughs> or else you can't start him. But um, <laughs> that's funny. But I think that, you know, Bronny definitely plays bigger than he is defensively. So to me, it's doable. I mean, that kid, I think, on this roster is going to show himself to be an elite 3 and D player. And that's really who he is, right? Like, he is not LeBron. He he doesn't have the same skill set. He certainly doesn't have the same size, but he is an elite defender. He's going to step in and automatically draw the assignment of guarding the other team's best perimeter player. I'm I'm sure that is going to happen, and that's going to make them better. Uh, and then offensively, he's going to provide spacing and athleticism and transition. And I, I agree. I'm super high on this USC team. Really, I like Andy Katz's whole three line is, is USC – UConn, Texas, and Creighton, and I love all four of those teams going into next year. Uh, I'm I am sad about Creighton just because I think they are going to be really good, and I think Isaac Trout will get major major minutes, and it will make me sad. Like I'm seeing sorry, an ex girlfriend thrive, but it's it's okay. <laughs> the The other team that I flagged on here that just jumped out at me is I think way too low is Villanova. Mm. I really love what they've done and that Kyle Neptune has done in his short time there, like they have an entire roster, not an entire, but a significant portion of their roster are seniors. Yeah. With Eric Dixon, TJ Bamba, who transferred in Justin Moore playing significant minutes. This is, I don't know if they'll win the big East. Like, I think they will be in the discussion with UConn and maybe St. John's at the end of the year and Creighton. Like it should be a really good conference, but this is one of those teams that you do not want to play in the NCAA tournament at all. They are going to be extremely scary as probably like a four or five seed that makes a run all the way, maybe to the elite eight, something like that. I just, I really love the off season that they've had and being able to build a team of experienced players who have been in big moments and they've just gotten better year after year since, you know, the initial drop off of having Jay Wright leave. Yeah, no, definitely. I I think Villanova, he's got them as an eight, and that's that's too low. The other team I think he's got too low as a seven seed is Alabama. I think a lot of the the talk about Alabama is that, you know, who they lost, right? So Jaden Bradley transferred out, Brandon Miller obviously going pro. There's still a lot of talent there. Javon Quinterly coming back. Mark Sears is back. They picked up Aaron Estrada, transfer who just came off of a 20-point-per-game season at Hofstra. Like that backcourt is insane, and they still have Bediaco up front. Like this is still a really good team, and I think to have them as a seven seed with the all the success they've had in the last few years is kind of. And, and I mean, like Nate Oates is. I understand that like he mishandled some things last year, and there's some stuff that maybe isn't great, but he is one of the better coaches around at this point. Yeah, a hundred percent. I think there's no way that Alabama is a seven seed unless several of their players are arrested mid season for doing something awful, which, you know, can happen. I've heard. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it is, but you know, again, I would say we've said it a million times that it, it is, it's too early. Like who, who knows where this is going to go 
moving forward, obviously things can change. So yeah, it's interesting to look at and think about, you know, with who's coming back and there were some surprises. I think we weren't really expecting Zach Eady to return to Purdue. And and so that is certainly a big deal. This is the second straight season that the national player of the year has come back, which uh, with the Shebway before this. So definitely a big deal. It's going to impact some things, but, but who knows, right? I mean, like, Nobody had UConn at, projected as champion at this point, so um, or really almost any point. So we'll kind of see where it goes. The one that made me laugh looking at this after everyone had talked about what an amazing offseason he had transfer-wise. And, you know, if you look at, like, the rankings, West Virginia has, like, one of the best improvements from the transfer portal yeah. of anybody and, and not discounting that at all, like Jesse Edwards is a great get for them. Carriza from Arizona is going to be really, really good. But all of that, plus the controversy with Bob Huggins, and they're like listed as a seven seed. Yeah. It's like, we did it. We made it. Good job, West Virginia. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll see. But yeah, that does feel like if that's... After all that in the offseason, that's what you're going to come out to. It, it, you know, was it worth it? One that I was really looking at that I was going to ask you about is Florida Atlantic. Do you do you believe like he's got them as a two seed and and I know they they lose nothing and and they are essentially the same team coming back from their run last year. Are, are they for real? Do you do you think they can do it again? I think they're for real as a really really good team and all year. I mean, if you looked at the analytics, analytics had them in the top fifteen to twenty teams all year. Yeah. So uh, you know. Obviously, making a run as a nine seed is surprising, but you know the underlying stats were there for them. I think there's no chance that they're a two seed. There's just that is not going to happen. I think <laughs> that they will run into some obstacles. I think they will be very, very good. They will make the tournament. They will probably win their conference, but like I don't know. This this feels like a four five seed regression. You know, maybe I'm wrong and they'll be poised for another tournament run, but I just cannot. Strength of schedule alone will probably drop them out of the conversation for the top two. Like, I just don't think that they're going to get one of those seats, but I think they are very good. Like, they're, that's not knocking what Dusty May's done and the, the talent that they have coming back and the experience. I mean, again, this not a team having seen them play and be within a buzzer beater away from the national championship game. You, you don't want to play them in the NCAA tournament at all. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm inclined to agree, except I do think that they have an advantage here in that they're going to start higher. So in terms of rankings and things like that, like their perception is higher at the beginning of the season because of the run that they made. And I wonder if that helps them in terms of like, if they can just kind of hold at the top there, then you know, does that, is that enough for them? And I just, I, I, I don't have the answer to that, but I'm curious to see. Yeah, they're really interesting to me. Like team coming out of nowhere, but keeping everybody, having their coach locked in now with a major contract, it definitely will be interesting to see what they end up doing. I'm excited. I'm ready for basketball. Know, now. So just start it. Roll the ball out on the hardwood. Let's go. Let's do it. Yeah, I uh, am going to have to get back to my vacation but glad to have a chance to talk with you and brag about Reese Beekman coming back, which I did predict and very excited. And if uh, anybody would like to write in and uh, give us their overrated, underrated personal bracketology 
that you've mapped out on the back of a napkin, uh, you can do that by writing into preferredwalkons at yahoo.com, or you could reach out to us on Instagram or Twitter at PWOPod, and we'll be there. And oh, I'm just so excited. Reese is the man. I love you, Reese. <laughs> so happy for you.